19th century German philosopher Frederick Nitschke said this, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. He was from Vienna, Austria, and what was his haven became his hell as he was taken from his home, and he spent three years as a prison, as prisoner number 119-104. But to him, the three years that were stolen during his time in prison paled compared to this, the fact that he also lost his bride, his brother, his mother, and his father. And the manuscript that he had spent his whole life putting together and devoted his life to was taken from him and destroyed. His name was Viktor Frankl. The how that he had to live through was when he and his family and fellow Jewish prisoners during the World War II, um, during World War II were carted off in cattle trains during the Holocaust and taken to Nazi concentration camps. What's powerful about his story is he never became a victim. He was always a victor. In the midst of the greatest madness that he and most of mankind has ever faced, he came out victorious. The question is, is how does one really begin to choose to be victorious in the midst of such heartbreak and such madness? What do you do? How do you choose triumph over defeat? How do you live a life with such courage and ongoing resiliency? Well, as he began to go through this three-year period in the Nazi camps, concentration camp, he began to notice different things, and he learned lessons. He said, why do we suffer? What do we learn from suffering? And as he was released at the end of the war, within a nine-day period, he penned his thoughts in his book called Man's Search for Meaning. In it, he writes this. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms, which is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. In his writings, during his time in the concentration camp, Frankel observed and he noted that those who survived were usually those who could call upon a why. A purpose outside of themselves a purpose of meaning for themselves that really transcended their individual existence and their strength to carry on. That they understood there was something about their life that was to have or gave them purpose for living. Frankel's story defines a man and inspires many in difficult and trying times even today. And isn't that really what the Bible does? Don't we love to go to the Bible for inspiration, for help? to guide our steps, to help us know how to learn, how to work and to live and to get through certain things in our lives. Well, that's why we're retelling some of these great stories from the scriptures. And we're doing it alongside the made-for-TV miniseries, the epic The Bible series. And as they noted in the announcements, you can see it tonight at 6 p.m. on the History Channel where they'll play two different segments of it. And one of the segments you'll see tonight is from the story that I'm going to be talking to you about today. Our prayer, our hope, is that through this whole series, you'll have a much deeper and greater appreciation for the Bible's stories, for God's redemptive plan for you and for mankind, and for God's love for you personally, that you'll begin to see it kind of blossom in your own heart and life. Our story today starts with 
the main characters being removed from their homeland, much like Frankel was, by an invading nation and they're taking them captive as young boys, possibly as old as teenagers. It's the story of when the entire nation of Israel was reduced to little more than rubble, victimized by an invading nation. Yet God worked through them. Yet God continued to fulfill his purposes in Daniel and some of his close friends and associates, as well as through the nation of Israel. And that's what we're going to look today. I want, to, I want us to look at and see how can you continually be victorious in the midst of being victimized at different points in your life. You know, I know, when you spend a few minutes with some people, you can quickly tell if they live life with a victorious mentality or if they're a victim. I mean, it just begins to bleed out, doesn't it? And so we want to be people that are victorious because we understand what God has done for us. So I want to look at this story in the book of Daniel, and we'll start in chapter 2. And understand that you can be victorious. I can be victorious because there is a God in heaven. The book of Daniel is named after its main figure, Daniel, who was one of many that was forcibly taken from his homeland of Jerusalem when they were conquered and reduced to rubble by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what's interesting is in the Babylonian kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar was kind of a gracious ruler. He didn't destroy people. He would take them away, and then he would take the cream of the crop of that nation, such as, as Israel. He would take the cream of the crop, and he would give them positions to be able to work and to serve him in his national endeavors. So this is what happens with a lot of these guys. In chapter 1 of Daniel, you'll see some of those that were chosen as the cream of the crop where they're going to be used by Nebuchadnezzar. And by chapter 2, Daniel grows up, he gets older, and he literally becomes an advisor to the king, one of uh, many advisors. He's 500 miles away from home. These people, the Babylonians, they don't know his God, and they don't worship his God. But one of the things that you're going to see that is so poignant about the life of Daniel so powerful is he never allows them to crowd out his relationship with God. He has this incredible conviction of doing what God wants in the midst of being pulled away from everything godly. You'll see in chapter 1 where him and and his friends, they literally make stands, and they stand up and say, we're going to do it this way. And because of that, God raises them up and gives them greater influence in the Babylonian kingdom. Now, what we're going to see here in just a moment, we're going to show you a clip. But I want to just give you, I want to set it up for you a little bit. King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream, and it has to do with this large figure. It's a prophetic dream that talks, that that, that goes into the future, where he sees this figure. It starts off with a gold head, which represents the Babylonian kingdom, and then it goes into different kinds of metal that represent other kind of kingdoms. And he goes to his advisors, and he says to them, I want to know what this dream means, but I don't want you just to give me a bunch of baloney and what you just want to tickle my ears with. So he says, for me to know that you really know what this dream means, this is what's going to happen. I want you to tell me what the dream is and then tell me what it means. Well, all of his advisors go, are you kidding? We can't do that. No man can do that. And so he says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill you all. Because nobody could tell him what his dream was. He says, I'm going to kill every last one of you. 
of his advisors. But what's powerful is, is there's this man, his name is Daniel. And in two or three different places in the book of Daniel, it says that he had an extraordinary spirit. There was something different about him. You ever been with people like that? You just know they're different. They're, they're, they're wired differently. They have a, just the way they carry themselves, the way they talk, they're positive. They, 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 they just have a, a different way about them. That was Daniel. You know why? Because there was this presence of the Holy Spirit on him. So he had what they talk about in Daniel, an extraordinary, unique spirit. So all these guys are about ready to get beheaded, and here's the film clip that kind of leads into what we're talking about today. Jewish people are forced into exile, a 500-mile journey east to Babylon. Zedekiah is the last of King David's descendants to reign. The Israelite monarchy ends here. Jeremiah is one of the few to escape. He heads to Egypt, never to return. The people have lost their prophet, their city and their king. The Jewish nation needs a different kind of leader to survive in Babylon. A man like Daniel. Daniel has visionary powers and is forced to work in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Has no one anything to tell me? Can you not even describe my dream? Silence is no answer. You're supposed to be wise men, sorcerers, seers. So what do you see? Sire, forgive me. No one here can read your mind. Then what surely of you? My God can. He has shown me your dream. Then you will be able to tell it to me. Every detail. 
you saw a giant statue of a man, its head made of gold. Then a giant stone struck the statue, smashing it to pieces. I know that much! What does it mean? The statue represents the empires that will follow yours. Yours is the greatest. The head of gold. And the stone that destroys the statue. That is the kingdom of God. In the future, God will reign over all the world. Forever. Destroyed by God. Yes, sire. What's your name? Daniel. You're a brave man, Daniel. I value that. You will serve me. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel 2, and I want to pick it up in verse 24 and read part of what you just saw. It says, And Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, because they couldn't tell him what his dream was, let alone interpret it. And then he said to them, do not execute the wise men of, uh, of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Ariok took Daniel to the king at once, and he said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he has been asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. See, what's so powerful about Daniel, I believe one of the keys to his life, not only does he have an extraordinary spirit, but he understands his limitations as a man. See, God has given him the meaning and the revelation and the understanding of what the mystery is, but he always points it back to God. He says, I can't do anything. It's simply God. And he's really giving glory to God, saying God's working in me and through me. I can't do it. But notice that last verse there in verse 28. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. See, mysteries in the Bible oftentimes aren't things that are so much hidden. They're only hidden for a short time to be revealed over time. And that's what our God does, loved ones, is he reveals mysteries over time to us. Jesus Christ was the greatest mystery, Colossians tells us, but over time he was revealed to be seen as the Messiah, the Meshua, the one who came to die for the sins of the world. So now David faces this royal decree. He's on the hit list of the king, and God gives him this mystery and allows him to reveal it to him. Can I tell you something? We, we live in that dimension of spirituality today, friends. God wants to reveal things, unveil things to you and for your life as well. You may feel your situation is impossible. But I want to remind you today, there is a God in heaven. You may, you may be burdened by sin or sickness or some difficulty, but you need to hear today, there's a God in heaven. 
And he knows about where you are. I, 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 in speaking this at the end of second service, I literally had two people come up to me and just say, wow, you know, God was speaking to me and, and I needed to hear this. And you know what I said to them? This is true. God has your email. God has your address. He will reveal to you the mysteries that you need in due time if you're one who will pursue him as Daniel and his friends do. You may, you may see no way to improve your dead-end marriage. You may see no way to improve your dead-end job. You may see no way to improve your business's finances. You may see no way to, to improve your personal finances. But hear me, there is a God in heaven. He's got your address. He's got your email. All he needs is your ear and your heart. See, King Nebuchadnezzar, the reason he had all these problems and all this angst is because he took his problems to bed. Daniel took his problems to his God, and that makes all the difference in the world, friends. And I want you to go away, because the people that that make a difference for God, the people in the Bible, as you will see, it's because they have this large understanding, this grand perspective of how big and how great God is. And that's really part of the theme of today because when you understand that, it'll make a difference. It'll make a big difference in your life. Second thing, if you turn over to Daniel chapter three, you'll notice that you can be victorious because God is able to deliver. This is one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it it really is just, it is chock full of incredible principles. It's one of the most encouraging Bible stories there is. Again, King Nebuchadnezzar is still reigning over the Babylonian Empire. Daniel and his friends are getting older. They have influence with the Babylonian kingdom. Now, remember, we just heard about this dream, about this gold image. Most scholars believe that what Nebuchadnezzar did to kind of reinforce his kingdom so that it wouldn't fall is he made this 90-foot, get that 90-foot, that's nine stories, golden image most scholars believe of himself. And he puts it out in this plain called, at this place called the Plain of Dura. And he says, what's going to happen is we're going to bring all the people together, and then the music's going to play, and everybody's going to have to bow down and worship it. Now, it's interesting because Dura, the Plain of Dura, Dura means wall. And I'd be willing to bet there's probably a number of us here today that have come against a wall. Or maybe you're kind of there today where where there's things around you. They want you to do something, things that you need to break through spiritually, but you haven't yet. And I wonder if sometimes the reason we don't break through is because we do what so many people do out there. Because see, the enemy of our soul, see, the, the, I think I told you, Nebuchadnezzar was a wonderful king in terms of he wouldn't destroy the people, he would use them. And that's what the enemy oftentimes does for you. It's not that he wants to just totally destroy you. He wants you to compromise your convictions. You know, Monday through Saturday, live one way. Do the things that you want to do. But then on Sunday, you come and you worship here. And the enemy says, that's all right. Do whatever you want out there. Monday through Saturday. Then on Sunday, you just come and worship. And some of you are at a spiritual wall on this plane of Dura. It's because you're really trying to walk both ways. You're trying to worship the gods of this world and you really aren't totally committed to and can, can have conviction toward the God of heaven. 
And the enemy of your soul, loved ones, will do exactly what he's doing here with these guys. He'll allow you to compromise. He'll allow you to lessen your convictions. So they're out there on this plane, and this plane of Dura. And all of a sudden, he comes out there, and he's got this image set up. Everybody's out there, and the music starts. And guess what? Everybody bows down except for three Jews. You know what their names are? They're called Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Uh, somebody called them my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. Um, I don't know that that's right or in the Hebrew or anything, uh, but it is kind of cute, and it, I didn't make that up, but <clears throat> some people call them that. So the music sounds. Now let's pick up the story in verse 13. Now this is what happens, and this is kind of the way the enemy is. When you don't compromise your convictions, he gets really upset. So Nebuchadnezzar, it says, he was furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so that these men were brought before the king. Now Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the flu, a horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, <clears throat> if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God, small g, will ever be able to rescue you from my hand? See, he's threatening him. That's what the enemy does to you. Gives you opportunity after opportunity to lessen your convictions, to follow the things of this world. Well, verse 16, if you don't have these underlined in your Bible, these next three verses, I'd recommend you do it. Because these verses, if you will appropriate them and apply them to your life, you will have to use them sometime. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I love that. There are times when we can't and don't need to defend ourselves. Just go, zip, and let God do it. Just step back and let God. Now notice what they say. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. What a declaration of faith, isn't it? We're not worried. Our God's going to save us. He'll rescue us. Now, here's the key verse, though, verse 18. But, that's why you hear me say it all the time, thank God for all the buts in the Bible. But, Underline this in your Bible and underscore it in your heart. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I just love that. Even if he doesn't rescue us, we want you to know, okay, we're, we're not going to serve your gods. We're not going to worship. We're not going to get mad. We're not going to get all hurt. We're not going to walk away from God. We're just going to stand up with conviction and live for him and die for him. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious 
again with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. Now, he's already furious. How much, how mad can you get? Well, he got madder because he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up the three and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing the robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so great, the furnace so hot, get this, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to the fire. And these three men firmly tied fell in to the blazing furnace. Wow. Something you need to see here that's really important is God sees the end from the beginning. Now, we don't always live that. We don't always think and believe that, but it's always true. God in his great love has a plan and purpose for your lives. And listen, loved ones, when we really understand and believe that, it doesn't have to be neon lights and big stage, but when you understand that wherever God has placed you, Acts chapter 17, it says that he has placed us in the place that he determined because he has purpose for us. When we really begin to understand that when you face the heated times of your life, guess what? You will be able to make it and get through because you know God has a what in your life. And you just need to trust him on how he's going to get you through it. Too often we live like people who are watching a parade through a fence knothole. Could you imagine seeing a parade through a fence with just a little knothole knocked out? You're watching and all of a sudden, what do you see? You see a clown walking by. Oh, okay, clown. And then pretty soon you see somebody juggling. And then you see a couple of big floats that aren't even, you know, they don't have any rhyme or reason together. And then all of a sudden you see a, a, a marching band. And then you see something else and you go, my goodness, what in the world? This is, this is weird. But if you could just pull yourself up over the fence or if you had an aerial shot, guess what? You could see that it's a parade and there's a progression and a procession to it. But see, a lot of us live our lives like that with God. See, God is the eternal. He, 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 he doesn't even understand time and dimension like we do because he sees the end from the beginning. But we're viewing our life, loved ones, through this little knothole. And a lot of times it doesn't make sense. And because it doesn't make sense, and because we have a difficult time trusting the God of the universe, who, that, who Daniel, who, who it says in Daniel, will rescue us and deliver us, we get frustrated and want to give up. See, when you're going through these difficult times, you need to lean heavy. Lean heavy into Romans 8. 8.28 that says this. We know that there's a few things in our life that works together for good. Oh, thank you, yeah. All things. Not some things. Not the things that we like. But all things work together for good for those who love God. Do you love God? Okay, then, then you've got to trust that all things are going to work together because you've been called according to his purposes for those he foreknew and predestined to be conformed to his image of his son. The purpose of everything that we go through, friends, is this, is to make you look more like Jesus. Did Jesus ever suffer? Yeah, he did. It says in Hebrews that he literally learned obedience through suffering. There's some powerful lessons that we can learn through suffering. That's what Viktor Frankl wrote about 
in his man's search for meaning, the importance and the place that suffering ends up playing in our lives. And when you really begin to be able to put this and calibrate this in your thinking and your spirit, loved ones, you can be victorious because like they told the king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. <coughs> Excuse me. Remember uh, Pastor Robert I told you about cruising for Jesus? He's one of those guys that come to a place in his life where he wondered, what good is God doing in my life? He was born in Tijuana, but his family quickly soon moved up to the valley area. And he grew up in the valley here in California. He ends up going and serving our country in a war. He was in the Marines. He got out, got into some trouble. I can't remember if it was the drugs or alcohol. Ended up actually going to prison for a while. And then he got out and totally changed his life, come to Christ, attended a church in uh, Reedley, California that had this ministry cruising for Jesus. He was out of prison for eight years, had a good job serving Jesus, and they come and they deported him. So he's thinking, what's going on here, God? I mean, I could, I could see if I got deported when I was in prison or before prison when I got in trouble. But it's eight years, I'm a good citizen, I love you, and I get deported. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He's sharing this story with me. And he says, now I know. Now I know, now I know the why that I've gotten through. Because if if I would have stayed up there, I would not be pastoring a people down in Tijuana that need a cruising for Jesus ministry. And he's got a wonderful, powerful church where they're doing and making significant inroads into the homeless of Tijuana. And he said that. He said, I wouldn't go back to the States now even if I could because this is my purpose. God orchestrated my life to get me back here so I could do what I was made to do, and that serve these people. See, knowing that, loved ones, can make you victorious, because as they told the king, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver. I love that. You know what they're saying? Turn the stinking furnace up. He is as much as seven, four, I don't care. We'll go in. Just turn it up. Because they don't doubt God's sovereign ability to save them, but they submit to his sovereign will. And they're not concerned whether or not they're going to get saved out of this fire. Oh, I'm sure they hoped they were, but their bottom line was, he can, he will, oh, <laughs> but he might not. Consider, at what moment did they become victors? Is it when they walked in or walked out? I believe it's when they walked in because their faith made it possible for them to get through. Think about it. We don't read about them and they're taking off their clothes and their turbans going, maybe we can get this fire out. You know, we don't hear about them trying to break out and bust out. What does it say? It says they were just walking around in this furnace. Let me read it to you. 
Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And he asked his advisors, weren't there three men in there that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Now he's calling their God. Now he's recognizing their God. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out of the fire. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God, big G, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. That's when they became victorious friends. It's when they went in by faith, knowing that maybe they might not come out. 1968 through 1998, a plane was used called the SR-71 Blackbird. Uh, It was an advanced long-range, traveled at uh, Mach 3 plus speeds, Uh, It was a strategic reconnaissance aircraft uh, that the Army came up with. Uh, My former Bible college professor, his name was Ted Roberts, a pastor friend of mine. He was a Marine fighter pilot who flew missions in Vietnam. He tells the story of one of his books of how he got to go see this in its early stages. So he got to go uh, to a hangar because it was kind of a top-secret plane. And he got to go into this hangar to to see this TR-57 Blackbird, uh, 71 Blackbird. When he saw the plane, he looked at it and he goes, are you kidding me? Is this really the, he had a guide there showing him. He goes, is this the wonder plane that everybody's so excited about that can travel at high, high altitudes and mock speed and, you know, kind of a stealth plane? Because as he looked at it, walked around it, the first thing you notice is where there's all these oil pans and lubrication was dripping from the plane into these pans. And then he looked around again, he noticed that the wings and the, and the fuselage, it was kind of corrugated. It wasn't that real smooth, you know, kind of fuselage like planes have when, you, when we see them. And it's, they're all dripping with this lubrication. When he begins to talk about it, and the, the fuselage panels were manufactured to fit only loosely on the ground. But what happens is they get up into the air, and the, and the plane begins to heat up at its speeds, at its mock speeds that it's going, pretty soon these corrugated sides would begin to come together and literally align themselves and seal up. Why? So they could handle the heat of high speeds and high altitudes. So he's learning all of this and he's looking at it, taking it in. Finally, his guide looks at him and he goes, bottom line about this plane is this, it doesn't look good on the ground, but that doesn't matter because it wasn't made for the hangar. It was made for the heat and the heavenlies. I really believe this, loved ones. We're kind of like that. See, we want to look good in the hangar. We want to look good on Sunday morning. But where God wants us to shine is not in the hangar of church, but where God wants us to look good is in the heavenlies, where we're out there, where we're in the heat of life, and people begin to see us differently. Because we talk differently. There's a different spirit about us. We live differently. And so when the heat of life, when the stress come, guess what? We're living differently. Because you're not made for the hangar. You're made for the heat of life. Because what happened in this story? You know what happened? As soon as everything was heated up, and those guys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they're just walking around and what's taking place? 
They're not dying. They're not burning up. But all of a sudden, people are seeing somebody else, a fourth person. Can I tell you something? When you go through the heat, when you go through the fiery furnaces of hell on earth, guess what? You know what people see? They see you getting through it, but more importantly, they see the Jesus that's getting you through it because he's walking with you. He's the one that says, I will rescue and deliver. And you can have this kind of confidence that God will get you through. Now hear me, this is not a story that guarantees that you'll never have to endure injury or pain. But it's a promise that God is with you. And the last one is you can be victorious because my God sent. Daniel chapter 6. This is years later now. Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon has been conquered. There's a new king, Darius of the Medes and Persians, a whole new empire. But Daniel is still serving in the royal courts. And what does he do? He's faithfully praying to God three times a day. Now, the other court officials, they begin to resent David because of his growing influence in the government. So these officials conspired against Daniel. So what do they do? They don't get something bad on him. The only thing they have against him is what he does good. So they kind of conspire with King Darius, and they said, listen, king, Let's make a decree that nobody can pray to anybody but you for, thir- for 30 days. Because they knew that Daniel would continue to pray. So the king makes this decree. Now, he, ha- he was very fond of Daniel. Remember, he's got an extraordinary spirit. He stays and he helps all these pagan kings. Five, he works for five pagan kings during his lifetime. So the king makes this decree. What does Daniel do? He continues to pray three times a day. Pray, pray, pray. Why? Because he's a man of conviction. What's right before the decree is right after the decree. So these, these conspirators, they go to the king and say, hey, listen, Daniel's still praying. So the king, he couldn't go against his word because it was national law. So what does he do for punishment? See, we see this kind of as a, is a young kid's little Sunday school story, but it's an adult story. Because God takes, I mean, uh, Darius takes Daniel in first punishment. He tries to get out of it, tries to figure out a way, but he can't do it because it's law. So he takes him in the evening and he throws him in a den of lions to be there overnight. You ever been to the zoo? I mean, have you ever got, we took eyes to the San Francisco Zoo, Isaac last year to the San Francisco Zoo, and you get where the lions are? I mean, they are loud. They are scary. And these lions at this time, used for punishment, they probably would have been underfed. So they've been hungry. So now all of a sudden, Daniel's thrown in there overnight. But the king cared about David, excuse me, cared about Daniel, and he couldn't sleep. So the Bible says, we'll pick it up in verse 19, it says this, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, what a great testimony, been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God has sent an angel. Wow. Isn't it interesting that God takes care of his people? Most people believe in Daniel chapter 3, the fourth person is Jesus. 
Some even believe here that this angel is the angel of the Lord, which could be Jesus here. Whether it's an angel or Jesus, we don't know for sure. Can't say unequivocally, but this is what I do know. Daniel was saved because God sent somebody. Do you know that that's the reason we can be saved today? God sent somebody. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is greater than the angels, and we all know that. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the law. He's greater than everything. Why? Because God sent his only begotten son, John 3.16, because he so loved the world that he wanted no one to perish, but everyone to believe in him so they wouldn't perish. When you believe like Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, people in this room, when you put your trust in Jesus, you can be victorious over temptation and sin because our God sent. You can be victorious over shame and guilt because our God sent. You can be victorious over death and the devil and all the difficult circumstances that the enemy of your soul can throw at you because our God sent. And that's what I want you to know today, loved ones. It's possible that somebody here today, you've never responded to Jesus Christ and said, I want to follow you. I want to receive forgiveness of my sins so that I can experience this delivering power so that you know when you're in the heap of a fire, when you know that you're in a constricting prison of some kind and you feel like there's wild animals all around you or whatever being attacked, you've got this God, Jesus Christ, who's with you, who loves you, who will walk through it with you. But like these guys, you've got to have the conviction to stand up and say, I choose him. I want to receive him in my life today. And there's two, two action steps that we're going to do today as we close. If you've never done that, if you've never received Jesus Christ today, I want to invite you to do that. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to apply to my life what you did on the cross. And if that would be you today, we're going to pray in just a moment. But I'm going to invite you to take your program out, your, your connection slip, and just put on there, yeah, I'm going to receive Jesus today. Or make a recommitment to him. Because that's what's ultimately, loved ones, going to get you through this life and the difficulties you face. Let's, let's pray real quick. Father, And if you have never, if you want to receive Jesus today, just say a simple prayer. Jesus, I want to receive you. I want to follow you. I want your strength in my life. Jesus, we're doing something really simple now. It's choosing you. Not choosing you to follow us, but we're choosing to follow you. And I pray that in this room today, there'd be some people that would make that decision not because of anything I said, but because of everything that you offer. And so I just pray, Lord, speak to people's hearts to come back to you or recommit to you or come for the first time to you. Thank you that you give that to us. You make that available in Jesus' name. Now, if you would have prayed something like that in your own verbiage, just I invite you to take that slip at the end of service and just put, 
your name so we can pray for you this week. Before we go, just quickly say thanks to those people who prayed for you, and then I'm going to dismiss you with a pastoral Irish blessing. May the belt of Christ be about me on my going out, my coming in. In the name of God who made a pathway of the waves, may he bring us safely home at the end of the day. God, be on your road every way you go because you are deeply loved. God bless you. Happy St. Patrick's Day.